Thank you, thank you. Thank you for your warm welcome always whenever I've come here. I know a lot of you have gotten to know a lot of you over the years and it's um, the one thing I was reminded of this morning when I came in was um, uh, how much love there is here. Uh, not only for the people who, the visitors who come in, but you can see it for, for one another. It's, it's very apparent and uh, so you know that you're in a place where the Holy Spirit is having his way um, and doing great things. So uh, I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I always love coming here. I also want to um, acknowledge, um, she's kind of like the sixth sibling of our family who's down from Boston, my cousin Debbie. Um, you want to stand up, Deb? She, she, she wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting it either uh, to say anything, but uh, she's a sweetheart and, and you know she's very, very precious to us. So, um, so uh, I, I told Al, you know, we, I said, uh, okay, I told him this morning, I said, I, shouldn't, I should be done. I, should have, I, didn't, I don't think I'll need any more than like 45, 50 minutes, hour at the most. And he kind of gave me a look and everything, and we, we talked it down. And, uh, so, and just in case, I get, my wife Patty is back there, and she's, she's got this. This is the signal to start cutting it off. And then Lori's going to do one of these. And then if all else fails, Al's going to run back and get the light switches back there. For no, I'm just kidding. So, um, you know, in, uh, in uh, uh, introducing um, what I have for you this morning, um, what the Lord gave me, um, I'm reminded of, uh, it just so happens that uh, this afternoon we're, we're football fans, and uh, we're Buffalo fans, of course. Uh, thank you for your, your sympathy. Um, we uh, and we've been we've been on this playoff drought. We just have we just can't seem to uh, get it together. And uh, we're we're playing this afternoon again. And there's a chance. There's a, about a 17% chance we might um, we might possibly uh, sneak in this time. But um, the last time I remember getting so excited about a game, it was about 24 years ago. Um, now and uh, it was in 1993, and it was a playoff game. We call it the Bills. Call it some people call it one, one of the greatest comebacks in NFL history. We just call it in Buffalo. We just call it the comeback. And it was a game against the Houston Oilers. And at halftime, we were down 28 to three, and it was it looked like a lost cause. But I'm sure that you know our coach at that time went back there in the locker room and gave these guys a don't give up you know it's never over till it's over you know we'll we can do something and they come out there and almost immediately in the beginning of the second half Frank Reich who was in for Jim Kelly at the time threw an interception and they ran it back for a touchdown so it went from 28 to 3 to 35 to 3 and uh, it was just it, it just looked hopeless and yet and this is one of those things that's on all the NFL film films somehow Something caught on, and uh, there was an amazing uh, uh, drive down the field, and they scored this beautiful touchdown, and the, the, it was a home crowd. Most of the crowd had already gone home by this time, because they said, this is a lost cause. This is terrible. I, I don't, you know, it's like watching a, a car accident or something. And, um, and yet, and so this was kind of electrifying, and people were on their way out of the stadium, and they turned and looked, and they go, oh, we got a touchdown, isn't that nice? And they kept going out to their cars. I wasn't there. They actually had, those are these, they used to black out the games, and I was listening to it on the radio. And, uh, and then they got another touchdown. 
and then they got another touchdown. And the team just caught fire in, this, uh, in the second half. And uh, the end result, the final score of the game was 41 to 38 Buffalo. And they won. And it's, you know, and then we haven't done much since. <laughs> but here's the important thing to keep in mind. Something happened to Buffalo fans, and this is true all over. I think this is, there's a principle here, and, and it's this principle of, you know, don't give up when it gets darkest. Don't, don't just hang in there. Something might happen. And even though, you know, you're, it's football, you know, it's, it's just football, and it's just whatever, you know, whatever you're, you're, it's just a job or whatever it happens to be, the fact of the matter is something gets inside you you know, Buffalo fans are nothing if not, if not loyal and hopeful, full of hope. I guarantee you they're all back there getting ready to get in front of their TV today and watching and say, maybe this is the year, you know. Because something, something gets planted in you when you know that anything can happen. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not saying that God <laughs> made the Bills win that day. You know, I wouldn't be that, that, that um, shallow. But... The fact of the matter is that God does this kind of thing with us in our lives every day. And we don't even realize it's happening half the time because we, we don't acknowledge it. So we have a theme scripture. Is, uh, do I have control now of this if I turn this on? We have a theme scripture. And is that the first scripture on it? It is. Okay. So our theme scripture today is this one. And I love this scripture. Why don't we say it again together? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. I'll tell you what, man, that's a powerful, powerful scripture if you believe the promise that God has given to all of us. Um, and it's interesting because he does things with us, with people. He does things with people who are very ordinary, very flawed, very uh, uh, weak, um, uh, people all around us, and we, we, have, we make the mistake of judging one another, and we shouldn't, because you don't know what God has in mind for any one particular person, no matter how unlikely that person happens to be. Um, in Matthew 26, uh, uh, and it's, it's basically verses 31 through 35, listen to this. You know, though Jesus, uh, uh, though Jesus, Jesus prophesied that the scattering of the flock, and specifically, he, he, he prophesied Peter's triple denial of him. Uh, and, and, though, and Peter, he's like boldly, you know, saying, I'll never disown you. I'll never give up on, you know, you know. And, and yet, here's what happens. Jesus told them, this very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you in Galilee, Peter replied, even if I, if I fall all the way, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And, and, and Jesus answered and said, this very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples, they said the same thing. And we'll never disown you. We're, we're, we're with you, Lord. Well, we all know how that worked out <laughs> in the end, the story, when the soldiers came for Jesus. 
they, they, did a, they did a disappearing act. And then Peter remembered, this is in, in Matthew 26, same, same uh, in, in verse 75. Then Peter, after he had had the opportunity to stand up for the Lord on three separate occasions, it says, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And it says, he went out, sighed, and he wept bitterly because he knew he, he was confronted with his own failure, his own hypocrisy, his own uh, weakness, thinking that here he was, this great disciple of Christ. And, and he goes out, and, and he, he was the first one to just, don't, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know the guy. How many times in our lives have we looked at our own Christian walk the way Peter saw himself on that dark morning after he had and, and went home, he went away and bit, bitterly wept. How many times have we looked at our own inadequacy and our own flaws? And, and yet, <laughs> and yet, we read in the book of Acts how Peter and the other disciples, especially after the day of, uh, you know, right after the day of Pentecost, boldly went out. And in, in Jesus' name, they preached the gospel. And they turned the world upside down, these flawed men. And they were martyred for their faith and for their, and their faithfulness. And what is that message? What's the message for all of us here today? How is it possible for a believer, once having opened his heart to Jesus Christ, uh, to, uh, and, and acknowledged him, acknowledged him as the Son of God, the risen God, the risen Son of God, and confessed him as his Lord and Savior, how is it possible to then deny your faith and even turn your back and effectively deny that he even knows him? But how wonderful it is that God demonstrates in his word how a dozen very flawed human beings, one of them fatally, we know, Judas, can be taken under the master's wing, taught the principles of the kingdom, and then turned loose to change the whole world. We know so little about each one of these, these apostles, but we do know some things. We know, for example, about uh, their, their humanity. We know Peter's arrogance and his presumptuousness, only to lead him into making a, making a fool of himself. And we know about Thomas's skepticism. You know, well, if I can touch it, touch the wound, see, then I'll know. And we know also about the lack of humility of the Zebedee brothers, you know, the sons of thunder, who were talking about, uh, they aspired to sit on the master's right hand and left hand. We'll sit on either side of you. And, we'll, and yet all of them, every single one of them, were flawed. And then, of course, the general cowardice of all of them as they faced the difficulties that were going to be, uh, uh, they were challenged with. And they bailed like rats off a, off a sinking ship. And yet, these men would eventually carry out the mission that none other than Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, commissioned for them, the preaching of the kingdom of God to all nations. These very imperfect humans 
these guys who were quarreling among themselves and questioning their faith and doubting their own salvation during those three days that Jesus uh, kept them waiting following the crucifixion. Will he rise? Will he rise? Oh, that's me. I don't know. Um, these were the very men who were responsible for you and me sitting here this morning. 2,000 years ago, they're responsible for us being here right now. Think about that. So do we think that we believers today are so much different from our, our predecessors 2,000 years ago? The fact is that history is being made right now, right now, just as it was back then, by people just like you and me. We have the opportunity as his, 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 you know, each of us with our own gifts, yes, our flaws, but also with our own gifts, we have the opportunity to change the world. One person at a time, one, one obedient act at a time, we can change the world. We have, we have all different characteristics, personalities, uh, physical limitations, geographic limitations, um, to advance, but in, in spite of that, we, we can advance his agenda, each one of us. Don't sell yourself short. If anything, as his coming is closer and closer and closer, his servants, us, are more compelled than ever to prepare this world for what's coming. Amen? My own journey uh, with the Lord actually began in 1975. I, um, I came to know the Lord as a real person and savior for the very first time at that time. And I had just gotten out of the army and my, my zeal in the beginning was, was unquestioned. I, I mean, we, my desire to serve him was it's spontaneous. It was, it was sincere. I just, I wanted, I devoured his word. I wanted to learn everything that I could about the Lord. Um, I, um, I wanted to do for him. And I became deeply involved in the life of my church. I attended Bible studies, and eventually I taught them myself. I eventually became a youth leader and a worship leader. Uh, I witnessed about my faith when the opportunity arose. Uh, I maintained a, a, a separate, sanctified lifestyle in as much as we, I understood how to do that from the worldly activities that I was exposed to as a, as a public school teacher. I did all those things. And um, the thing is, while, while I, I thought that my love for Jesus Christ remained a constant during those years, over the time, what I had done was I had allowed religious forms and functions to replace what was the real thing that Jesus was trying to do with me, which was to form in me, a new creation. The Bible says that we are to be conformed to his image, the image of the Son of God. And I, I gradually became like those that are mentioned in Matthew 13, uh, where he says, for they look, but they don't really see. They, they, they hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And there's so many of us that are in the churches. And, and, and we, we, we believe, we're, we're sincere, we want to do it, but we, we gloss it over with a form of religion that, that is 
it's actually lethal because it lulls us into this false sense that everything is cool, everything is good, it's fine, I don't need anything, I'm enriched, God's taking care of me. And I became one of those people. And, um, and so uh, the fact is, my Christianity eventually became more like a social club or a secret organization like the Masons or something like that than it was a, a true serving of the Lord and, and, and being transformed, a life-transforming process um, of growing in Christ. So in time, it was, it was only a matter of time before I, the, the dis disillusionment with church leaders, with, uh, you know, official, you know, responsibilities and hypocrisy and all of those things started to erode the relationship that I had, I allowed that to happen. I blame no one but myself because I wasn't taking care of first things first. And uh, I had intellectual doubts and there was the pull of the world and it was only a matter of time before it uprooted the very shallow garden that I had been planting during those years. Um, it was a slippery slope and it, eventually it led to my leaving the church that I had been attending for uh, about a dozen years. And then, of course, I, I didn't want to just cast it all off, so I started looking for other churches, other fellowships, where maybe they had the right idea. And, uh, but only, it was only a matter of time before I started finding fault with them as well, and the leaders and the, pe excuse me, the people in the church. So, uh, um, I began, I, I, it, was, it, was, it was probably within about a f two years or so that I just discontinued going to church altogether. And that was, that was the beginning. That was the death knell. Because we need one another. It's part of the, it's part of the plan that God has for us. Sure, we, we have, I, and I used to say, well, I, I know Jesus. I, 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 I still read my Bible. I, I, I didn't, but I said I did. You know, every once in a while, you know, and pick it up. You know. Oh, yeah, I know the scripture. I memorized this one like, a long time ago. I think. And I said, I don't really need the church. I don't need organized religion. I just, I'll just have my own relationship with Jesus. But when you lose that fellowship, that encouragement that you get from your brothers and sisters, as I said, you know, I never get tired of, of walking. I can walk into any fellowship anywhere in, in the world and know that Jesus is there by the love that you feel, the encouragement that you feel at sharing him with, with your brothers and sisters. And it just builds you up and it keeps you going. But I lost that because that, that was the final straw. I walked out. It was just a matter of a few short years that I had pretty much reconnected with a worldly point of view, a worldly lifestyle, a secular worldview. And uh, instead of loving the Lord the way I had once loved him, I had lost that first love, and I became the prodigal son. I was the, I was the younger son. I was out there. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. I was out there. And uh, I don't know how I got out there. I just, you know, I didn't even know how it happened. It was so subtle. That happened more than 20 years ago. 
And as I drifted further and further away from biblical Christianity, I embraced a secular lifestyle during my 40s and 50s with the zeal of an 18-year-old that's just going off to college for the first time. It was like exciting. Well, you do this. I started to rationalize sinful behavior as being, well, this is the, this is the prerogative of a free man. I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing anything like blatantly evil or anything like that. You know, it's, it's all a matter of degrees. It's a matter of, you know, you know what, was, what was killing me, sorry. Um, and so um, as my faith weakened, so did my marriage, which was bumpy anyway already, but then now this pretty much killed any chance of a, uh, trying to bring it closer together, and, and, I'll, and my marriage ended in divorce. So the new religion, you know what, the, you know what my new religion was? It's interesting because it's, right in, it's, it's right in the Declaration of Independence. You know, it's where it says life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness, and that's, that was my new religion. Pursuit of happiness, my own happiness, that was my new religion. And yet, and yet, and there's a, I don't, these are on time. Uh, yep. Let's read this. It says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And this is what I didn't, 20 years ago, I didn't, I didn't calculate this. I didn't realize that the Lord had claimed me back when I claimed him. I didn't realize I'm out there running around like some teenager. I think that you want to see something ridiculous? Look at a 50-year-old man acting like a teenager. That's ridiculous. It's one thing to be youthful. It's another thing to you know, act like a fool. And... Uh, I, w I, never, I never saw this coming, but here's what happened. In 2010, I had retired from teaching. My kids had grown up. They'd gone off to pursue uh, careers in, the op in opposite parts of the country. What was left of my marriage had pretty much disintegrated. I found myself, on the eve of my 60th birthday, I found myself questioning once again what life really meant because everything seemed shallow by this time. I, I, just, like I, just like back in my early 20s when I first embraced the Lord and, I, and, and a young guy named Al Warren said to me in my, my youthful skepticism said, and he, you know, he was teaching Bible studies and everything and, he said, and I said, you know, he said, well, this is in the Bible and I said, the Bible, what's, what's that? And he says, well, have you ever read the Bible? And I said, well... No, I mean, I've read parts of the Bible and stuff. So what, what, you're criticizing something you haven't even read. And, and it was a challenge that I took up. And I read the gospel. This was back in my early 20s. I read, my, I read the gospel of Matthew, and it was almost as if God himself, well, not as if, it was God himself, opened himself up to me. And by the time I had finished reading the gospel of Matthew, I knew that this was real. This is true. This is the truth. And so something happened, and just like that 20-something-year-old kid, 
here I am, 59 years old, 59, 60 years old, and I'm right back. He took me right back to that place where he left me, where I had left him. And he said, it, it was beautiful. I, I Basically, I had come to this place where, where I looked at the world and I said, you know, in spite of all of the, the culture, the advancements, the progress, the science, and everything else, I couldn't see anything but a dead-end street in the world. And it was depressing. And then I heard this familiar voice saying, uh, it was a still small voice, and it said, I'm still here. I've always been here. And I've been waiting for you. He said, I've been waiting for you. I kid you not. And I'm like, could this be true? After over two decades of turning my back on him and doing my own thing and pursuing my own happiness, finding things, trying to find things that I thought would make me happy, could he really want me back after all this time? See, I had my, I had be, I've been convinced that my betrayal of my faith years before to embrace a secular humanistic world was basically the death knell. I would be rendered ineligible to do it for a redo should I ever have that chance again. And yet, we used this verse this morning in Sunday school. Prodigal son, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Much to my amazement and joy, I discovered that my father not only still loved me and forgave me, but he was going to let me pick up way back where I had left off, where I had walked away from him, started to deviate from the path, And he was giving me a do-over. He was giving me a, a chance to do it again, to start again. It's 60-something years old. How crazy is that? With the help of the love and guidance of my precious sister and brother-in-law, the Warrens, and my precious wife, Patty, I turned my life back over to Christ completely, quickly found out that he did have work for me to do, a lot of work. <laughs> retired. Lord, Lord said, retired? <laughs> I'll let you know when you're retired. Message, message from my father was pretty clear. He intended to use me. He intended to give me a do-over or to use another expression. It ain't over till it's over. 
I joined a church here near us in Buffalo, in closing. I, 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 it was affiliated with the Elam Fellowship in, in Lima, New York. Uh, the lead pastor, Ron Burgio, was serving also as the president of Elam at that time. And he took a personal interest in me and Patty. He saw something. You know, it's like the Lord probably tapped him on the shoulder and said, Ron, check these two out. I just brought them in. They're ready. And he called us into his office and he said, look, would you, uh, would you be interested in um, uh, helping us with a new outreach? And um, it was to, this outreach, as Al mentioned, uh, to, to Christian, uh, to uh, prison parolees. New York, from the, they were recently released from prison, New York State prison system. And they were living in, it was like a halfway house. It was founded by uh, Reverend Terry King, who himself was an ex-convict. And he had, the Lord had met him in prison, and he started this ministry of halfway houses for guys when they got to make this transition back into, um, into society. He said, would you, be would you be willing to go and do that? I said, well, there weren't a lot of takers on, job, on a job like this. Um, and, uh, and so somehow, though, I heard, the, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, yep, here you go. This is it. This is what I have for you right now. You want the job? And Patty and I, we looked at each other, and we, we knew that this was an area where we both, in different, from different backgrounds, we both had, we were gifted in this kind of ministry. And we said, yeah, we, we really want to do this. That we think it would be, we would be, have suitable skills to be able to pull this off. And so, um, and most importantly, we knew that the Lord was at the, at the center of it. So that was two and a half years ago. And since then, I've been licensed by Elam uh, as a Christian worker. And, enroll, and I've enrolled along with Patty, my wife, into um, various some college classes, online classes uh, that will end in a, getting an associate's degree in Christian studies <clears throat> this coming June. We've taken numerous other courses to prepare us and train us to be more effective counselors and advisors. And we have had the privilege of ministering to countless individuals who, like me, are being given a second chance, given another chance, an opportunity for a fresh start. God did, did indeed begin a good work in us years ago, as the scripture says, all of us here. He began a good work in each one of us that know the Lord this morning. Patty has her own story that she could tell someday. It's a great story. He called us. He chose us. We didn't choose him. He chose us. And when we get discouraged or disillusioned or sidetracked, sometimes for years, like I did, it doesn't change who God is and how he works. He's still our father. He's still our father, and he knows he knows who we are, and he loves us unconditionally, just as we love our own children. So he gives us an example. He gives our own kids. How many times do our kids screw up? We don't just throw them out, throw them under the bus when that happens, do we? We don't abandon them when they mess up. We, our, our intention from day to day, from the day that they're born, our intention is to see them, to stand by them, to support them, to correct them, and to see them achieve the purpose for which God created them. That's what a parent does. 
How much more was our Father, our Heavenly Father, going to do that for us? Of course he who have you begun a good work in us, of course he's going to see it through to the end. He's always going to be there. He's never not going to be there. Never. How many times will you forgive your kid when they fail? Once? Twice? Ten times? A hundred times? These guys that we work with in the prison, you know, the, out of the prisons, they've got mothers and fathers who are still, even after they, they've been in prison for 10, 15, 20 years, are, st are still supporting them and, and loving them and giving them, you know, cooking them dinner and so forth because they're their children. And this is the kind of father that we have. It's not over. It's never over until it's over, until the Lord comes for us. That's when it's over. When Jesus spoke again, this is beautiful. I want to close in this. When Jesus spoke again to Peter on the banks of the Sea of Galilee after his resurrection, Jesus, I can just picture it, you know, the Lord, come here. Jesus was like, and Peter, you know, comes over there. What is the Lord saying to him? When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, not Peter, not the rock, but little Simon. Simon. Simon Barjona, the little boy who thought he had it all figured out. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than all of the things that, may, that would pull you and distract you? What is it you love, really? Is it me or is it something else? Yes, Lord, he said, I. He said, I know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, but then he probably went, that third question he said do you love me and he goes Lord you know all things and you know that I love you and Jesus said feed my sheep and this is what God's calling us all to do this morning he is calling us out of our self-pity, out of our self-absorption. Uh, and he's saying, I've got a job for you. I've got a job for you. Just know that I have started something with you. Remember when you were all excited way back, way back when? I still have a job for you. And there's no job too small. No job that the Lord gives you is too small to help build his kingdom. That's what we're all called to do here. We're fellow laborers, every one of us here. 
And if you've been having a hard time, I don't care what your distraction is, what your problem, I don't care if you're currently you know, dealing with intellectual doubts, I don't care if you're, you're, um, you're having issues with your marriage, issues with addiction problems that you've been fighting all your life, I, none of those things make any difference to him. He knows all that. There's something in you. There's a reason that he called you this morning that only he knows. And he'll reveal it to you if you only will wake up and come to your senses and let him, let him do that work in you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray, God, that, that for all of us, us in here who have ears to hear, that we hear clearly what your message is to us this morning. I pray, Father, that you would encourage us, remind us that you are, in fact, our good, good Father, that you, you have called us and you've chosen us and you've begun a good work in us. And I ask you now, Lord God, in Jesus' name, to give us the strength and the, and the faith and the love that we need in our hearts to obey you, to love you, and to believe you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.